the Bible, it certainly talks about a hard work ethic, you know, getting out there and sowing in the fields and all that. But God rested on the seventh day, took him six days to build the world, and he took a day off. Okay, so why is it that we don't understand what rest really looks like? We just constantly feel like we have to go, go, go. That is going to instigate anxiety. If you're constantly overdoing your schedule and and really rethink, why are you working 15 hours a day? People need to make a living. People have incredible careers. People have incredible things. But I think that sometimes we do need to step back, pray, reflect, and sort of re- reorganize some of the ways that we're living our lives that might be instigating anxiety. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. Author Jody Howe is here to talk about anxiety, specifically how to do more than simply manage it. She gives us various examples of how we set ourselves up for patterns of anxiety, and she shares practical steps for not only catching these patterns, but she also offers suggestions on evaluating our schedules and practices and all the ways that we can unknowingly add overwhelm to our typical day. Jody's book, The Air That I Breathe, is a resource that she couldn't find when she so desperately wanted relief, needed relief from the panic attacks that threatened to overtake her life. She shares the various lessons that she's learned along the way to her healing, and and that's so that you can gain immediate insight versus struggling to figure out the best ways to find freedom. She also shares the countless ways that God steadied her, led her, healed her through this whole journey. And if you're like me, you're going to immediately love Jody because she's so full of life. And while her wit will have you laughing, I'm most impressed with her courage to be transparent about real life challenges. Even when life doesn't look neat or predictable or pretty, she doesn't sidestep the hard parts, but takes them on knowing that God will see her through. This book is such an incredible tool because Jody's personal experience has been so beautifully blended with practical steps of application and the wisdom of God's word and how he's already laid out how we can live without anxiety, worry, fear, and overwhelm. Let's listen in to discover how we can find God in the midst of the struggle to quiet our mind and find peace in a world that is anything but peaceful. Jody, if there was ever a time when people could benefit from your message and your book, it would be now. And I'd sum up your message as how to find and maintain peace in an unsettled, stressful world. So welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm thrilled to be here. 
Tell us a little bit about your story because you have struggled with anxiety and depression. You know this journey and you couldn't find a resource that was helpful in navigating these topics in a realistic way. Now you have a passion to help others and tell us why. And well, I'm going to answer your first thing about that. It's hope. Hope is really my word of my life. My lifetime word is hope. We always have these fun things that we come up with as Christians is what is my word of the year? What is a prophetic word, right? Those things are true and fun and all the things, but my word for the Lord that he has bestowed on my life is hope. And hope is because it shows you that even during the the hardest times, the toughest times, the struggles, that you know that we have a God of hope that is going to provide for those struggles and for that hurt. And it may not be the way we want it or think it or look look for, but it's his will and his way. And it's better and bigger and stronger and more sustainable than ours. It was my 39th year of life. Don't do the math, but it was when anxiety was hitting me back and forth for decades. I didn't know what it was. The stigma was pretty high, but I got really sick. And now I know years later why that happened it because God had a purpose for my life and he just needed me to absolutely take the initiative to open the doors. He was knocking on it for decades. And so it was that time where I got very, very sick that my whole life became a new life in him, a reborn life in him. And as I was healing through the sickness, he was downloading content and purpose and information and wisdom into my spirit because I was looking for a book that could help me get closer to him, but still apply practical tips and measures to how you heal from anxiety. Now, we all know we can go to a doctor and get on medicine. There are things to do. We have a a, a God that has given us Western medicine. He's given us practical things that we can apply in a common sense mechanism to doing the right thing versus the wrong thing. Don't abuse your body. Don't abuse your mind. Don't you know, conform to the ways of the world. Don't watch really scary things if you have anxiety and fear. You know what I mean? Just so many things that we can be applying to our everyday life. But yet I wanted the homage, the reverence to be to him. And it wasn't out there. I couldn't find anything. I found one, just one small little book. I think I actually purchased it. I might've got it on Kindle or whatever, but it wasn't exactly what I would have been able to read and feel the hope from or gain that hope from. So I wrote it. I wrote it. And the Lord gave it to me. And I got to tell you, Sherry, we're talking like he gave me the excitement to write this book maybe nine years ago. I thought it was done six years ago. (laughs) And here we are, 2023. I don't know when this is going to air, but close enough. The end of 2023, he actually, I just uploaded it today to Amazon Kindle. That's exciting. I was crying. I was crying. I was crying. I was like, Lord, I can't believe you gave this to me. I can't believe you have allowed me to be able to do something. And who knows? Like you said in your beautiful prayer before we got on this call, it might just one sheep might benefit from it. I think it's a little more because I've had more people be like, when's the book coming out? I think it might be a more, it doesn't matter. It's not about quantity, it's quality, right? It's quality of of content. It's quality of reverence to the Lord. And whoever needs this hope that we can actually have a peace that surpasses all understanding I want that for you because that's what I live. And I don't live easy. I don't live a pain-free life. In fact, any Christian who claims to have a pain-free life, you're you're fooling yourself. Because the Lord says, take, you know, there will be trials, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He warns us of the trials of life. 
but he also gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. So we got to get in his word so we know his promises. So when things get hard, we keep memorizing them and going through our head. But his grace is sufficient, even though this thorn is in my flesh, you know. Yeah. It's so he's so good, Sherry. Mm-hmm. He's so, so good. So I'm excited about this book coming out because my testimony is of anxiety falling down flat on my face and him rebuilding me up in, in himself. What he's done in my life, similar to that different circumstance. He rebuilds it in a way that puts you closer to how he created you versus just recreating what you already had. Like he does it new in a different way. His value system. It's a beautiful thing. One of the things that, yeah. One of the things that I love about your book is that a lot of times, even in the church, we can get instruction saying you want to do away with anxiety. Here's a scripture. And yes, you can hang on to scripture. Yes, it does transform your mind, but they kind of leave you hanging. Like, what do I do? What's the practical way to apply this to our life? And that's what I find in your book are these practical steps. And we're going to talk about a lot of those here today in this conversation. But let me ask you this really quick. At the root of anxiety and depression? Can it be traced back to a fear? For instance, where do panic attacks originate? That's an excellent question. And keep in mind too, one of the things I struggled with when I was writing this book, and thank God the Lord gave me six years to really recognize its timing because I look back at six years and I still was not ready to speak into the world. I feel there is a con- accountability. I know I'm sidetracking it. Accountability <laughs> to us as gospel messengers to make sure that what we put out there is good and fulfills his purpose in us and make sure that we're coming from wise biblical, a wise biblical foundation. With that said, I learned as I grew because my anxiety is particularly an anxiety, general anxiety disorder with panic attacks. But if you look at the whole spectrum of anxiety, and I'm not a doctor and I make this very, very clear, I'm not a doc. This is just a general human learning and being intentional about learning. There's anxiety that comes from PTSD. There's, there's general anxiety disorder. There's just a general worry disorder, which is anxiety, but someone who just generally cannot settle in anything but fear. And a lot of this can be coming from a PTSD, not necessarily someone who served in the military and, and experienced all the horrific things that a lot of men and women have experienced. It can be just generally something that happened to you when you were young, but there's also physical components to anxiety, which I speak about in my book. The first thing I say, one of the first things I say in there in terms of my tips is you must go see a doctor and get a full physical workup because thyroid conditions, certain heart conditions, certain other autoimmune, and again, not a doctor. The doctor could speak into this so much more deeply than I can, can instigate the general feeling of uneasiness in our bodies, chemical imbalances. So you have to be able to figure out those aspects of your body. You you need to be able to talk to a doctor and have a full blood work panel done and, and make sure that the heart's going well, the, the, the lung, all the body parts, the important body parts, all our body parts are important, but I'm talking, you know, the brain, the lungs, the heart, all, you know, your GI tract, all those things. Because if, something's off kilter, that could be instigating it. And I needed to do that. I went and got the full workup. I have the general fear that caused panic attacks. Panic attacks are basically the fear of dying in that moment. And they feel like a heart attack. So if you look at the specific breakdown of what an actual heart attack looks like, and and 
you know, science is showing us now that it's a little different from for a man than it is a woman. There's sort of like that stereotypical, like, oh, your chest starts to get really tight. You can't breathe and you, you know, but at women's heart attacks apparently are, are a little different than that. But with that said, it is certainly not a good feeling. They're horrific, horrific feelings. And they are man, mind created. But if anxiety is already brewing in your system, those two can meet and they can just completely es escalate into this panic attack feeling. What I learned through my experiences were that, you know, if I know I'm in good health, I did a full workup with my doctor. Everything was in good working order. Even my heart, I actually, actually had to go see a cardiologist. I think I was 39 at the time. Yeah. Maybe 40. I mean, it's pretty rare at that age to someone who was not obese. I don't have diabetes. I don't have any of the real, you know, I, I'm in shape. I take care of myself for me to have a heart condition. And of course I didn't, I went and got a full workup. The doctor was like, why are you here? I'm like, well, I have anxiety. So I need you to just check this box. And he did, and it was all good. But so when the panic attacks still came, when they did, I was able to talk myself out of it more because I'm like, all right, Jody, you know, this isn't a heart attack. You know that this is a panic attack and a panic attack is so strong that it can make you feel like you are having a heart attack. And here's the thing. Most people who deal with panic attacks and anxiety disorders like I had, they've been in the ER more times than they care to admit because that's how scary they feel. They feel so real. And the thing is, I want to always say this, please, if you think something's wrong, just go to the doctor with hopes that you have a good health insurance plan. I would never suggest it could be, I, I don't know if it is a heart attack. You just don't know, but kind of going around a circle here, you need to get your health in check. And when you get your health in check and those panic attacks occur, which can be genetic, they can be internal and they could be manifested through your mind. I've got ways to help you through that. A lot of it is breathing. A lot of it is mind over matter. A lot of it is applying your wise mind to know, oh, this is a panic attack. I learned this one time from a doctor years and years and years ago. If you feel like you're going to faint, let's just say right now, you feel like you're going to faint. And 30 seconds later, you still haven't fainted. It's a very good chance you're not going to faint. It's very much probably your mind telling you you're going to faint. And so, you know, certain common sense things you just need to have in that head of yours because our minds are so precious but they're powerful and they can tell us things and they can create things in our bodies. You know, more people were finding out with, with cancer that it wasn't necessarily something physical that was going on in their body. It was stress. Stress is causing cancer. Isn't that crazy? Just not being centered, peaceful, calm can actually create a debilitating and deathly disease in your body because of what your mind is, is doing. So I also speak a lot of that in the book as well, Sherry, you've got to protect your mind and what goes in and what comes out and all of that. Yeah. So it can be several things, like you're saying, a medical situation, health situation, mental, but are there habits to blame for our stress or is it more about living a typical normal life and being exposed to so much negative information? It's all of the above. <laughs> so get my book. No, I say that because my book is a 22 day devotional, but it's a day night format. So I came up with 44 tips nice. talking to every single thing you just mentioned, because yes, it is surrounding. It is our mind. It is what we were exposed to. It is what we are exposed to. It's all of the things that contribute to it. 
And so we have to become intentional about our, well, we're believers. I am an intentional about my walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. We have to be intentional about everything around us, our schedule, our anxiety that we have. We have to own it. We have to accept it. And then we have to be prepared to make sure that we don't instigate it. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to be someone who deals with anxiety disorder and you've done your full workup and you found out that there really is nothing other than this being a general anxiety disease, which is a mental illness. It is a real scientific thing. And maybe it is instigated by a lot of your actions and your surroundings. Don't go and eat terrible foods, high in caffeine and high in sugar and lay on your lazy, you know what, and sit there and expect your anxiety for you to have this peaceful, calm feeling. It's not possible because I know with someone who deals with anxiety, And I'm not suggesting we can't rest. Please understand the difference, okay? But there are people that just sit around and think it's just going to be just blow away in the wind. And it doesn't always work that way. I know that if my anxiety is getting to be too much, maybe I had a little more caffeine than I should have had that day. You know, if I have sugar and greasy foods, I know I'm probably going to feel crappy because those foods do not complement your body and your body makeup and, and your endurance. It just doesn't. Those foods don't. But yet we live and we celebrate. We go out and have nice dinners and we you know, do all the things. But we just had to be prepared. Alcohol. I speak a lot about that. I, it was a really touchy subject for me to talk about in my book because I know that and I do enjoy a glass of wine here or there. I'm not one of those Christians that say, don't drink alcohol. That is between you and your God. And my God says it's OK once in a while within reason and just don't use it as for drunkenness. And that's what that's what I've learned and I've accepted. But I, you know, it also can instigate anxiety. If you're having the irony, ironic thing about alcohol is that it makes you feel like the whole world is good for a few hours. But then when it settles into your system and like people fall asleep from having a couple of drinks, you wake up, you're more anxious. I know you are. You're unsettled. Your sleeping becomes compromised. It just doesn't work well for your body. So within reason, you know, you just, you have to be cognizant if you are someone who has anxiety. Speaking of alcohol and the way that we use it sometimes to cope versus one or two glasses in a social event, the thing about using alcohol to cope, it works. It does. Then you can find yourself in a situation where now you're having to deal with an addiction, which alcohol, if I understand correctly, is a depressant it, it, that's the irony of it. It's an exhilarating feeling that brings you into a full depressed mode. And that's one of the things that I've experienced with alcohol. And I did abuse it for years during college and my young adult life that you know, I abused it most definitely, but I use it as a coping mechanism to my anxiety. I just didn't know I was doing that. Now I have a fear of flying no longer, but I did. And we're talking white knuckle, severe fear of flying. This was like one of those people that was, it wasn't just a matter of getting on the plane. This was like making the flight arrangements fear. And I coped by alcohol. When I lived in Northern California, I lived in San Francisco for a few years and I had to fly home. You know, family was in upstate New York and I, I would just get loaded drunk on that plane. And the irony is, is it didn't really work. Because, and in fact, I, I interviewed a pilot a few years ago on my podcast just so I could sort of understand flying aviation. And the pilot confirmed that alcohol loses its substance when you're up 30,000 plus feet versus being here on earth. <laughs> it doesn't have as much substance. And what happens is, is yes, you do kind of get through, you, you, you drink yourself through it, but then you go into this major depression of feeling horrible, guilty, 
not feeling well physically, and it is a depressant. So you have to just be cognizant of that. You mentioned earlier about anxiety is the fear of dying. And I've heard you say that depression is the fear of living. Can you push Mm -hmm. that out a little bit? Can a person suffer from both at the same time? Well, sure. If you look at the medications that they give you for anxiety, depression, they're antidepressants for anxiety. And just to be clear, I really don't suffer from depression. I do know people that do. And oh, my heart breaks for them. I don't actually have depression. I've had seasonal depression. You know, I I went through a divorce and that was certainly not fun. And there was some depressional depression moments and well, more than moments, there was a lot of depression in that, but that was a seasonal just for a specific time. But generally I don't, but the irony is, is that the medications out there that are SSRIs or other kind of medications actually do serve both. It's very hard to find the right one that is actually doing all the things to help people that deal with anxiety and depression. But what I've learned, like I said, is, is anxiety is the fear of dying and then depression is the fear of living. They just don't know how to sustain depression is they don't know how to sustain themselves without always feeling sad. Everything is sad. Everything is just gloomy. There's loss of hope. This is what I've learned from people with depression. And it's an awful thing. They're both awful things to deal with. And I, I believe very much that the Lord knew exactly what was going to happen in our world, especially now in the culture and the society that we live in, that anxiety and depression was going to escalate as high and as big and as just heavy as it's become. But I also believe that his grace is sufficient in every single day. But the prayed away mechanism of what the ter- churches teach, I don't think is even fair for God. Is it being enough? Yes, we 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 give our lives to the Lord and we submit to him and we're obedient, but we also have legs and arms and brains and mouths and ears and things that he gave us. He equipped us, our bodies to do things that we can do under his provision. So the anxiety and depression are real. They are very much the same, except they're so different. I even say that, I don't know if I say this in my book, to be honest, I don't believe I mentioned this much, but I probably have said it just in marketing. My book, I believe will help someone dealing with depression, even though it's a book on anxiety, because I believe that the life applications in the book are as helpful for someone dealing with depression as they would be for someone dealing with anxiety. Now, again, depression, to me, depression is something I don't speak very much into because I don't deal with it. And I don't know it well. And the sad part about depression versus anxiety is two different things. Depression ends in death for a lot of people. Anxiety doesn't necessarily end. It could, but in another way. In fact, anxiety could be like, as I mentioned before, it could be the the forefront to cancer because of all that stress. Anxiety is stress. So depression is something I don't speak into because I don't deal with it and I don't know much about it. And I will say this, Sherry, as a disclaimer, there is hope and help out there. It may seem a little hard to get sometimes. I get that. But please, please, please know that there is help out there. And any way that I could ever do it, go to my website, send me a message. I will find you help if I need to. But there are suicide lines. I know people that speak on those suicide prevention lines that just want to share hope and love. There is churches. There are things. We're getting better with the stigma of mental illness. We're getting better better. I would still like to see a little more improvement, most especially in the mental health field. 
as in some ways they've disappointed me personally from what they've done in terms of just general, not providing enough for people, um, just sort of getting on this loss of science bandwagon of gender dysphoria and sort of not helping these kids that deal with anxiety and depression and struggle with their identity are now thinking that they're of a different body and different, um, just born the different sex and gender. And it's just all crazy stuff. So that the, the actual field has, has definitely shamed my spirit, but it still is what we have. And there are still amazing counselors out there that can help you through this. And look, we're, we believe in the Lord ultimately is the way, the truth, and the life. So I will always say, go to a Christian counselor because at least they can send you back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you have that. And that's guide. what my book will do. I had to, had to not forcefully, but just out of sheer reverence to Christ for what he has done by this healing of anxiety is to glorify him in this book. Mm-hmm. Cause ultimately I couldn't gotten through it without him. And on top of that, you know, people were broken. Your psychiatrist is broken. You know, they're, we're not Amen. perfect. No, <laughs> so thank you for mentioning that. Right. We're, we're looking for people to help us and they're in professions and they can help us. But I think to the point that you might have to keep looking for a psychiatrist or a therapist or whomever it is that can help you uh, get through this. Use your book as a guide. Also medications. Oh, if you're looking yeah. for a better quality of life, you mentioned a few minutes ago that sometimes it's hard to find the right medication. So keep trying until you have that better quality of life. Don't give up, but don't settle either until you've and reached Don't that be place. afraid of it. Like I, this was one of the biggest stigmas I, that was laid on me. I don't know how, but it did where, oh my goodness, if I have to go on medication, there's something seriously wrong with me. I speak about that in the book and I still have deep devout Christians challenging me on this. Believe me, don't think they're not. I've had this conversation with people If you have a disease, any kind of disease, heck, if you got a headache, some people just pray through it. Okay, I take some Advil. Okay, I'm just being real. Okay, this is just if I've got something, you know, if I've got something wrong with me physically that a doctor says this prescription might just make it better, I'll do my research. I'll use my wise mind and maybe I'll take it and maybe I won't. But the point is this Western medicine isn't all bad. There is some great things. I mean, People's lives are being saved because of good doctors and good medicine. So do your research. I, I suggest that book that is in, I, I put it in my in my book, uh, but it's a great general secular book. It's not a religious book, but it's a book that gives you all of the drugs, all the medications, all the therapies, and it even covers holistic and it covers just general, like you can go and get an herbalist if you really don't want to take anything that's considered synthetic and it helps. You know, it helps you to just educate yourself and make make good choices based on that. If you have diabetes and you need insulin to survive, you're not going to deny yourself that. Or I hope you wouldn't. I hope you would give every shot possible to live. And so, yeah, medicine stigma is still pretty high, but it does take a while sometimes. And I would encourage you to just have a use a wise mind when you're with someone, a doctor, a psychologist or whatever, to just... Consider medication, but don't consider it as the only thing. That's why I wrote the book. My book is not a book on medication. I touch upon it very, very small because there are so many other ways that we physically can help eliminate anxiety in our lives. When it comes to letting our thoughts run rampant, so we have this unchecked thought life, what are some tools or practices that people can use to stay focused on keeping their peace? (laughs) Well, you know what my first answer is going to be. Get (laughs) 
into his word. Let me say it again. Get into his word. I don't say this as a perfected Christian. I say this as a sinful, hot mess of a Christian woman who just knows that the more I step away from the Lord and his word, the more the world overpowers me and I'm anxiety filled one way, shape or form, whatever it is, get into his word. When I went through the first parts of my divorce, I had to go into a faith cocoon and I'm not going to take credit for that because Christine Kane, I read it from her. So I want to give her credit for that because I'm going to tell you, this thing is brilliant, brilliant. It was this cocoon of worship music, word, prayer, not in this exact order, but godly men and women and just me and whatever I watched on television, it had to be uplifting. Whatever I read had to be the word, devotional, scripture, pastors, you know, sermons, whatever. Friends, none of the crap that the secular world can feed you like, oh, there's another man out there. You can just start dating and all that. No, 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 no. All the things I had to go into this cocoon wilderness. Some people call it a wilderness. It was a short lived one to help me to get my mind working correctly. Because when you walk through a milestone disappointment like that, or a situation, maybe it's not a milestone, maybe that's not the right word, but just a disappointing circumstance that life is going to throw you. I mean, you, you lost a husband, you know, that you you didn't plan for that. We don't plan for the things that happen. They're outside of our control, but what we do have is control about what we allow into our lives. And that is most especially the mind and how it needs to be protected. The word and the Holy Spirit of the Lord protects that. And anyone I've talked to who's dealt with loss, I have not dealt with it. I've, well, death of a divorce is loss. So I'm dealing with that, you know, and that's, I have, I will, the Lord will equip me to speak into that one way, shape or form down the road, I'm sure. But with that said, my true sisters in Christ, and I consider you, you that Sherry, who have dealt with loss would say this, and maybe you can speak into that when they were outside of the Lord. And that happens. We, we, we start doing the things that the world tells us to do. That's where the depression, the grief, the fear, and all of those heavy burden feelings came into play. But whenever they went right back into the Lord, which was centering with him, Holy Spirit, word, speaking with him, faith cocoon style living, that's when there was a peace that surpassed understanding. And so that was, I'm not suggesting that was your journey, but those are women I know, sadly, a few women that I've walked life with that have lost children, not Mm -hmm. just babies. We're talking like young adults and just devastating, devastating situations. And they all claim that. And that's what I was able to take and apply when husband of 26 years says I'm out and I'm moving away. I was able to take that into consideration as yes, I'm going to grieve, but yeah, I've got to make sure that my mind is protected. And the only way it's going to be protected is what I allow in it. And I want the word of God and I want the the godly people in the godly surroundings to be around me. So my mind doesn't go in, in the wrong direction, which as you know, history calls it anxiety. And you know what, Sherry? I didn't deal with anxiety at all. Wow. You want to talk about the Lord equipping you, knowing. I mean, the Lord knows everything. He knows the hair on my head. He knows me from head to toe from yesterday, six years from now, if so be it. And he knew the circumstances 
would play out. And Lord, he just equipped me and strengthened me and endured me. So I did, I did not and have not dealt with anxiety during this or panic attacks. Nope. Wow. Wow. And that is because of my walk with the Lord, my intentionality, my faith cocoon, and my protection of my mind. That's powerful. That's very powerful. When I think about how you're sharing where you're at today with your journey and with anxiety, when God is leading you up to this moment, what about him surprised you as you were walking through the dark valley of anxiety and trying to find your way into that green pasture? Is there anything about God that stood out to you? For me, in my case, when God gave me the beauty of his presence, I was like, wow, I was missing an intimacy with you that I didn't even know I was missing. Can I just double up on that? Yeah. I'm going to double up on that. I didn't realize that. You know, you hear about this in stories and testimonies about people saying that I heard from the Lord only when I was open to hearing from him and I couldn't hear from anything else. Like the world was disappointing me, the loss, the grief, the circumstances, all of the things. When I saw how intimately loving, beautiful, and strong he is, I was able to hear from him and feel safe, as it says in Psalms 23, right? walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but the Lord is your rod. I mean, he's your strength through it. I just didn't ever really see that until the last few years of my life. And it's a, be I know, Sherry, I know you and I as sisters, we're just, we're going to sit here and say, y'all, if you're not feeling that, please, please seek him further, deeper, I just did a message at a church on Saturday. It was such a great message. It was about helping the women get unstuck. And I bring it up because I think it's helpful because I think a lot of people who deal with anxiety and deal with just life things are because they are stuck in their own ways and stuck in their own belief system and stuck in their own, you know, just conformed minds of the world. I'm an acronym girl. If you go to my podcast, you'll see whenever I'm stuck with something and somebody will ask me to do a message and speak, I'll just like, all right, let me take an acronym. It'll help me. Doctors do this too, by the way, when they're in surgery. <laughs> well, you know, just to remember things, you have to memorize so much when you go into the medical wow. field, right? So they use acronyms and ways to, this is my form of memorization, put it this way. So I came up with stuck, seek, trust, understand, cultivate, and kneel. And this can be applied to anything we're dealing with. So seeking him first. Trusting in him ultimately, which is my favorite scripture. It's probably one of yours too. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Every woman loves that. I've even learned some men do as well. That is, I still believe to this day he wrote that scripture just for me. So it's seek, it's trust, it's understand. Understanding his word. Knowing that, uh, you know, these little scripture things that we can spew out here, our little, you know, Christianese speaking. Well, it's because I'm in his word. And when things get really hard, I might not have a Bible in my hand, but I have his word in my brain to remind me he provides a peace that surpasses understanding. So the world's going to be like, why are you not crushed right now that your husband of 26 years left you? Well, because I, I believe in a Lord God that is bigger than that. That's why he gives me a peace that you're not going to get because you're, you must not be walking with him if you don't understand it. But you and I, as sisters in Christ, we can understand it because we walk with him and you're all invited. Okay, just to put that out there, we want everybody involved. We want the more the merrier, the more we get people to understand that we are meant to be disciples of Jesus Christ on earth, the better this world will be. I will die believing that. So that's seek, trust, understand his word, cultivate. You know, I, I thrive on the fruits of the spirit because he's given them to me. 
you know, Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 and 23. All of those fruits are a gift that he left behind me. I want to cultivate them in my world. When mm-hmm. I put out love, I'm not feeling hate. When I put out joy, I'm not feeling anger, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those, when I'm putting them out there, all those bad things that are stemmed from anxiety and depression and conflict and, and fear and anger don't come into my spirit. And I want to cultivate that in myself and in my children and in my, my world. And then Neil, we got, we got to get down. And I even said this in my message. If you're in your car, kneel to him. Like, how do you do that? Well, you don't physically, I'm talking proverbially kneel in that moment and say, father God, I don't have this. I don't have this problem in this issue, but you do. And I just ask that you come in and show me how I can deal with it. And all I want to do is glorify you. So you can apply that to anything. Uh, To your point about scripture, when my husband passed away, I wasn't going to church. I was very disconnected. I think there's a certain portion of grief that you do alone because nobody can really bring your husband back or put your marriage back together. So I think you just, you're out there by yourself for a little while. And so I wasn't going to church, wasn't praying, although I was talking to God, but you know, I considered prayer, you know, sitting down and just meditating on God's word. I wasn't really meditating in prayer with God, but I was having conversation because I knew the scriptures and I did have worship music and I felt his presence in the music. And then I remembered that God inhabits our praise. And I thought that's why I feel his presence. But it was his scripture that helped me engage him with some pretty tough questions, questions that I guess maybe some people would find very disrespectful, but God understood my pain. And he allowed me to question him like, Lord, your word says that no danger will come near my tent. I said, it came in my tent. It blew up in my tent. What am I supposed to make of this? You know, so I believe that the scripture is a way for us to engage the heart of God to help us dig in a little deeper and to understand who he is. Because if you read the Bible as a surface, like you don't dig into like the customs and maybe the king that was ruling at the time, or you look at what it meant, some of these words mean in um, Hebrew, then you miss so much depth about who God is. And it becomes just a great book. But get in a little bit deeper, because I will often say that God is good and kind. Those are two simple words that I have never known to run as deep as they do with God, because you start digging around and Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you bring that up because it's so incredibly true. Like some people will be like, you know, it's so controversial. It's so inconsistent. This is what I've learned. And I have not read the whole Bible. What I've learned so far in my walk with Christ is that every single word was God breathed and it is, it is necessary. And it is a learning tool. Times changed. People were different circumstances. Not that any of that has an irrelevant factor. They're all relevant. But the Old Testament is a mosaic law and a teaching of a people. The New Testament is Jesus Christ. So we can learn from all of that. There are still Old Testament scriptures that I swear. I mean, Psalms, come on, Proverbs. These are incredible words of importance to help create the character of which God expects us to be on planet Earth as we live. And so we absolutely need the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, understanding the full story, understanding the full love language, of understanding the full love story of who he was and why 
He has done what he's done, what he's doing now and what will be. He he has us covered from the day the world started to the day it ends. And so it's like we have to trust in that, that he is superior above all what the world wants to teach us. There's scriptures out there that I I still don't know and I want to know them, but it's the ones that he's laid on my heart in these last 12, 13 years of my true walk with him when I became saved that has helped me through the hardest times. Because at the end of the day, he is the way and the truth and the life. And I give him my life and I don't have to always like the circumstances. I say in my book about acceptance, I use a, just a basic proverb saying from Michael J. Fox. And it's about acceptance. If you can't look at someone like him, who's got that debilitating disease and he still lives and and, and speaks about acceptance, we have to learn from those people that have maybe on paper, their circumstances seem way worse than what we could ever imagine. And yet they're still living a fruitful life. Like we have to learn from that because it's really not what happens to you in life. It's how God handles it. And he will always handle it with good. There's always a way that he will make it good, even when on paper or in society, it doesn't look good. I can imagine, I don't know, but I can imagine in your life, you can honestly share some, your husband's death was not in vain. No, no death is in vain. And maybe you do have ways to say, I can honestly say there were blessings in that pain. I don't know. I can only say that in my walk with this divorce, I can't begin to tell you the blessings through this pain. It's beyond. And kind of going back to your first question, typical me, I'll go 10 minutes on a question. I can't begin to tell you how he has worked through the broken. I don't ever, ever want to live outside of this proverbial faith cocoon that he has provided for me because this world is ugly and it's mean and it's hurtful. And as you said earlier, people are so broken. The most well-respected people of accolade and success and education and money are just broken, hot messes. No one is to be above him. Nobody, myself included. And just as an example for people who are high profile, um, who we've seen commit suicide because they had, in our eyes, they had everything, fame and fortune and money and clothes and shoes and cars and purses and all the stuff. And yet we find out that they've committed suicide. So it clearly is not. To show you the stuff is really irrelevant. I mean, look at we're girls. We like our stuff or makeup or hair or clothes or whatever. Life is certainly a, a living experience, but you mentioned, I don't care what I have to live in. I just want to live with Christ. And that's a pretty bold statement, but yeah. it's true. It, it, we are bigger than tents now. We live in a time where he will provide for us and he will support us and 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 cover us with his, with his wings of love and of strength. But yeah, it's, we really have, sometimes we're missing the bigger picture. And I think one of the, beautiful things that God does for us when we're in that valley that's very dark is give us the beauty of his presence. But he takes what was meant to destroy us and he turns it for our good and his glory. And I think that is really the power of who he is in the midst of pain and suffering. It it has no power on him. And so he comes in and gives it his value system. And so then we get to experience what it means 
to be an overcomer based on who he is and what, I don't know why I want to say this real quick. Maybe it's going to help somebody, but when God says that you are beautiful, or if God says that you are healed, or God says that you have peace, you can have those things in him because that's who he is. So he implements those things in our life when we seek him and we desire, you know, to have him. And now in my life, his presence is the only thing that I ask for because everything could fall away. Everything could change my roles, my titles, all of those things can be stripped away in the blink of an eye. And yet if I have his presence, that is what will get me through. So. Oh, hallelujah. I don't just say that because I'm supposed to, because everyone's like, she's a Christian speaker, <laughs> author. Hallelujah. I love that you mentioned it. Yes. Someone does need to hear that. About thousands of you who's listening to this podcast need to hear that. What I loved and continue to love when I was walking through this circumstance of divorce, and there's other things too. There's other things that I don't want to get into on this podcast, but there's other things that life just threw some crutches. When we can honestly look at a scripture that he puts out there that is so relevant and we can apply it in its goodness, I'm going to use the example of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 through 9. We are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. I think we can all agree that when your husband of 26 years tells you he's out of the marriage, you're going to be a little hard pressed about that situation, but it didn't crush me. It didn't crush me because I had been intentional about my walk with Christ. I had built my foundation on him and he has endured me. He has strengthened me and he has built me up to be more of his character and not of the world perplexed, but not in despair. If you don't think that that was confusing, it was very confusing and very unsettling. And all the things of life were just started to weigh me down. Like, what's the next chapter going to look like? What is my life going to look like? How am I going to provide? I mean, all of the things were happening, but I didn't feel hopeless because I have a hopeful God. And so I was able to lean on him and know he's always been faithful. Why would he stop now? That's not the God I serve. My God is a consistent, faithful provider. I was persecuted, but not abandoned. I was abandoned by my husband, but I wasn't abandoned by Christ. So he persecuted me from my walk because he's not a believer, my ex-husband. He doesn't believe in God. And, and we both have we're we both realize it's an irre irreconcilable difference. We're amicable. We're, we're moving on in life and it is what it is. But he's like, I'm just, I'm not getting on board that Jesus train. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting off of it. So that's just how that works out right. because I can't, I can't live without Christ. And then finally struck down, but not destroyed. I mean, life is going to strike you down. It's, it's, you're going to lose people you love. You're yeah. going to lose marriages. You, you, you know, hoped lived forever, at least until you were taken to the, heavens above. You were always going to feel like something doesn't always work the way you wanted to. But the thing is it in God, it shouldn't destroy you because he is the lifter upper of things, not the breaking down mm -hmm. of life. So it's like, I was able to take that scripture, those words and like actually say, Oh, now I see what he means. Now, that's not the whole Bible. I'm still a lifelong learner and I'm growing and learning every day. But how cool is that? Very that's what cool. he that's why he, that's why he put it there. Yeah, he put it there for me to learn from it. And so, man, he's so good. 
one of the reasons we're going to go through some difficult spots in life is because we have no control over anyone else or over our circumstances. But I think we can all agree that God is in control. So maybe for us, we have something that's similar because it's very effective in moving us from a place of defeat to freedom. And that would be taking responsibility for where we're at and where we want to go. What does taking responsibility look like and where's the power in that? That's such a great question. Where does it, you know, I, I, I think, again, it goes back to the intentionality of our walk. As I, as I kind of jokingly say that we all have words that are laid on us on our spirits in the beginning of the year. And it was about two years ago. My word, my word of the year was intentionality. And it was teaching me through that, that I have to be intentional of opening up that book. I have to be intentional of giving the Lord my day. I have to be intentional with my trust in him. It's an action step. And I think that I'll say this with a, grain of salt, the laziness we're kind of creating in this world today. I I say that and I'm not perfect, but man, we can't expect, I, I always use sports analogies and I use athletic analogies like working out and athleticism and all that, because to me, it just helps me understand it. And sometimes it just helps other people understand it. If we want to get in shape, we can't just sit on the couch and eat and watch TV and get in shape. We have to actually get up, move our bodies, walk, go to the gym and apply exercise in order to build up muscle, endurance, agility, and lose weight. And same thing with actually losing weight in general, if we're eating bad foods that are high in caloric value and high in fat values and all the things, you know, all these diets that are out there today. But with the, my point is like, you can't eat bad things and expect your body to shed the weight. You have to be intentional about what you put in your body in order to lose weight or be healthy and have energy. The same goes for our walk with Jesus. We can't expect him to just be there in our lives if we're not building up that relationship of seeking him and trusting him and understanding him and cultivating what he gives us and sharing that with others and just ultimately kneeling with him. It's just not, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And I think it's pretty clear in scripture that it doesn't because what I take away from the New Testament as I'm learning it every single day and I'm in it in Bible study because we're doing all the New Testament books, the, the big takeaway is relationship building with Jesus. Because Paul's speaking to all of the Jews and he's speaking to the, he's speaking to everyone and saying, stop with your own laws, get to know him. Give the heart to him and all the other stuff will start to make sense. Intentional. And that sounds like it could go hand in hand with discipline. So why is discipline so hard? (laughs) Well, there's certain people out there that have been, I'll call it the gift of discipline. (laughs) Like just from day one, going to school, being really smart, getting good grades, going off and getting a great undergraduate and maybe, you know, postgraduate degree and making organized Excel. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. I was not that person. (laughs) You know, I I was a stay at home mom for 20, well, 22 years. My oldest is 22. I stayed home mom for 22 years. And let's just be real. That was a job. Okay. It was a big job. I, there is a thing that I don't necessarily think everybody understands. Well, I think, and I think that there's certain people that have such incredible disciplines that they take it to such extremes 
that they can't, they are probably are the most of anxious people because when all of their ducks are not in their proverbial rows, they are literally stressed out because they're so disciplined and so structured. And so whatever brain that focuses on, I always get the brains confused. Like there's like the left brain and the right brain and I forget which one I am, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's people out there that are just so like that. I have learned for me, just me, little old Jody, that I've got to find a happy meeting medium of discipline with the Lord. He knows me. He knows my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. I want my weaknesses to be better. He grows them in me and shows me and humbles me through them. But I guess it's like anything else. And this is like, even just, I think it's an old Tony Robbins type of thinking, you know, the, I don't know if he's a believer or not, and, and I don't even listen to him or follow him, but he, he does good stuff. And he puts out some good secular wisdom. I'll give him that much. One of the things that he used to teach about, and I only know this because my ex-husband used to love it. And he used to tell me about it is sometimes we only learn from pain. We don't learn from pleasure. And so I hope that no one walks through the pain that you've walked through Sherry. And I, I don't want to ever walk through what I've walked through again, but look at what I got from it. I had a deeper relationship. We never learn from easy, nothing that worth living for has ever come from easy. So I guess if this is what I've had to go through and look at what he's given me through it, Mm -hmm. then it's worth it because now I'm closer than ever to him. And, you know, it only means that I'm going to go closer and closer and closer because I know that he is not the God of pain, confusion, conflict. He is a God of peace hope, love, faith, endurance. He is the God of the good. And I want to be in the good as much as humanly possible. And in that pain is when our belief system is challenged. And then because we seek him, we receive his truth, which then rewrites what we thought we knew to be true. Because I even believe that our reality is different than his truth. Like we see things one way, but that doesn't mean it's the truth. And so when we're challenged, um, one of the, I came from a very crazy childhood, but a lot of people have, so that's really not an excuse. However, my point being, I left my home with more survival skills than actual relationship skills. So when I get out into the world, I'm no longer in the environment where I crafted these survival skills and now they're not working for me. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with, let's say my husband, what's wrong with my friend? What's wrong? What is wrong with them when I find out that it's me? And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. And so then, you know, God, because I went and got help. And so then God starts to rewrite these things that I thought were true. And that was, that's, that's another level of freedom too. It, isn't that so true? And you know, I was just thinking this today, no joke. And I love that you say that too, because yes, you want to talk about crazy family. hope my mother's not <laughs> listening, to this. but I love her to death. We're, we're best friends, but I, th- I actually was thinking this, this morning, we definitely, first of all, we know we have to agree that the world is broken and we have to agree that people are, are all, you know, we all have a lot to learn and I hope that there's even arrogant people out there that if they're chance by chance listening to this, like, you all, I got a lot to learn. No one is ever going to fulfill you. No one, absolutely no one like Jesus Christ. Absolutely positively, no job, no money, no house, no cars, no all the things. It, nothing is sustainable. Nothing is long lived. Nothing is good enough. Until you figure that out, you're going to constantly be going in like kind of like a hamster wheel. 
of wondering when it's time to get off and, and get off of it and feel still. And I think even if, until you acknowledge it's the Jesus, the God of the universe, it's Jesus Christ that can give you a sustainability in spirit that the world can't give you. You're just going to constantly be going in this vicious circle of life. And I don't, I've been in that and who knows something else will happen. I'm sure that's just the world we live in. I, I'm not suggesting that <laughs> the freedom, we can both agree that freedom comes from the pain, but we also have to recognize that something is certainly lurking around the corner. The world has proven that, but I know where I can turn. I know what I can lean on and I've seen his faithfulness and that just gives me peace. I was just thinking that today. I'm like, I'm just so grateful that I have that. And when I see people who don't have it, I feel sorry for them because it's, it's like anything like it, the invitation is there. You just has to, you have to RSVP. God's yeah. invitation is there. People think it's there and he's supposed to come and work in your life, even though you're working in the flesh. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to RSVP be saying, you know what? I'm going to respond to you, Lord. And there opens up a floodgate of beauty. Inviting him into that painful place and letting him have a voice, a say-so, an input. Yeah. So what's running rampant in your mind. Amen. As Christians, what do you think that we must, we misunderstand about our role in God's plan for our lives? And when I ask that question, I'm thinking about how I can get in my own head and I end up fighting myself and then intensifying the struggle with God. And all he wants is to simply bring me into this place of peace. I am my biggest hurdle. What happens when we get locked into our own mind? Oh gosh. I spoke about this on, on Saturday too. What a great message. <laughs> it wasn't to a large crowd, but boy, I learned a lot from this message. I always say, I put a message out there. I'm learning from this message. Just like I'm trying to fill y'all up. Perfection. I'm going to yeah. throw that word out there because wow. How much do we struggle with perfection? I'm, I'm not, this is, this is preaching to the choir that loud and, and yeah, vocal choir. I know how that feels. I was raised on it in a sense. Like, it's not like my parent like you have to be perfect. Obviously I wasn't, but I just felt like it's like we have this certain kind of standard, which is not of him. Jesus is perfect and we're not. It is to be aware of how we can be better like him, but we're never going to be like him fully. And so I think it's the societal pressure of, of perfection. And here's what I've learned is that God does not equip the perfect people. He can't. Why? Because they're not willing to open themselves up to being moved and grown and seeds aren't able to be planted. It's like that scripture about how it goes on hard rock. It just has nowhere to get underground to reap the soil and grow. It's just not possible. And I feel like when we try to learn that in a way that we're just, and we, you know, we go on Instagram, we go on Facebook, my friend calls it fake book, where it's like, we're always just thinking that she's got it all together. Maybe you think I'm a widow. I'm like, I'm a divorcee. Ugh, look at this mess. No one's going to ever think I have anything of quality. Who's going to want to have anything to do with me? You just kind of have to go back into Romans 12 too, which is do not conform to the ways of the world. Okay, that's that's the way of the world. That's not God. Look, I, I'm sure I contributed to a lot of the messes that I'm living in. But here's the thing. I serve a God that surpasses any of that by sending his son to show us what sin looks like and how to avoid it 
best as possible, yet I'm still forgiven in it. And I'm not perfect. And I am a hot mess, but I'm a hot mess who's absolutely positively in love with the Lord. And so that's going to still include sin. It's going to include gossip. It's going to include maybe a white lie. It's going to include some bad choices. It's, but I'm always going to try to do better. I'm talking about the general feeling of you're just not enough and you're, you just need to be perfect. That's not of God. And we need to shut it down. But I have struggled with that. It came from my childhood, I assume, because it's always goes back to the family of origin. And I used to tell my boys, look, mama's not saving your money for your college education. Mama's saving your money for your therapy. Because <laughs> I'm trying to do this, but I get it. I'm broken. And so that's what mama's doing for you. Um, but I, I live with a perfection mentality, but it cripples me a lot of times because I am not perfect, never will be perfect. I am aware of that, but yet for some reason, it just keeps like reappearing and reappearing under certain circumstances. You are not alone in that. And one of the things that I've, I've struggled with, and I will be honest with you, because I'm all about honesty and testimony, because I just think that that's how people grow Authentic. and understanding that they're not alone. I don't yeah. really hold much back. Right. Maybe that's my own problem. But when a man leaves you in a marriage, and now you're like, okay, now, and I don't want to be alone the rest of my life. I don't believe we we're meant to be alone. I mean, God grabbed that rib from Adam and said, I'm going to make something as you are not going to do well on your own. And I don't want to be alone. And I love companionship. And gosh, once I realized what a godly man looks like, dear Lord, help me. <laughs> With that said, the insecurities of what the world shows you is what pretty and pulled together and body, all shape, all that stuff, man, that just becomes very overpowering. Mm -hmm. And I, I tend to fight with it more than I wish I did. And I am trying more and more to remind myself that I am fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, but I'm also beautiful in his image. And it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if God has a plan for your life and let's just say it's a godly man and he does want to give me a second opportunity to actually have a fruitful marriage, then I have to recognize that, man, that's in his hands, not mine. And I take care of myself. I do all the things I need to do because yeah. we do have bodies and minds and brains. But at the same time, I got to stop letting the world make me feel less than because it does. It, your self-esteem tanks when you walk through a situation like that. It does. It just does. We've been jumping around a little bit, just covering some topics that uh, have to do with anxiety, things that create anxiety. But I'm hoping here as we get close to the end, can you just succinctly put together some tools, some steps, some practices that people who are struggling with anxiety can implement into their life? Absolutely. So again, the book is 44 of those. Let me narrow some things down. Okay. Let, let's talk about just a couple of things. Like some of the things that I suggest, as I mentioned in the beginning, get to a doctor, figure out what's going with you physically. If you're generally feeling anxious and you're generally feeling like weary and you're having, oh, God forbid, those panic attacks, really and truly get to a doctor and just see if there's not something underlining that's going on. And, you know, don't be afraid to talk to your doctor. If you trust that doctor that if medicine's a short-term solution, then do what you do what's necessary because you're not going to reap the fruits of the spirit and be, you know, just living a, a joyful existence. If you're constantly in that anxious place, you know, we want you to be the Lord promises abundant life in him. So, and, you know, do, just be conscious of what you're doing to instigate your anxiety. One of the biggest things that I learned the hard way was over scheduling Sherry. Woo. 
I used to do that a lot, especially when I was married. I was always worried that, oh, we got to be doing something on the weekends. The kids have to have seven or 10 to 10 activities a week. You know, that causes anxiety when you're constantly on the go. And my, I think a friend of mine who I had lunch with today, we're talking about that. We're like, where is it in the Bible? Because it doesn't say that in the Bible. It certainly talks about a hard work ethic, and, you know, getting out there and sowing in the fields and all that. But God rested on the seventh day, took him six days to build the world. And he took a day off. Okay. So why is it that we don't understand what rest really looks like? We just constantly feel like we have to go, go, go. That is going to instigate anxiety. If you're constantly overdoing your schedule and and really rethink, why are you working 15 hours a day? People need to make a living. People have incredible careers. People have incredible things. But I think that sometimes we do need to step back, pray, reflect, and sort of re- reorganize some of the ways that we're living our lives that might be instigating anxiety. Another thing I talk about is breathing. We, I love saying this. We don't breathe correctly. People laugh when I say that. Like, wait a minute, I'm breathing right now. I'm like, no, but you don't breathe correctly. So I'm a worship leader. I actually sing on my church's worship team. So I've, I was raised as a musician, as a singer. So luckily, not that we believe in luck as Christians, I was taught how to sing and breathe. Okay, I had to learn how to breathe correctly. That is breathing from the diaphragm to sing well. So I actually incorporated this in the book. And so I encourage you to get it because I actually do take it step by step to show you how to implement some stronger breathing mechanisms, because especially if one of those panic attacks hit, you're going to want to know how to breathe yourself through it. I'm actually going through the book right now as I'm the manuscript You know, little things like taking care of your body and little things, these are big things, but little things like drinking water, hydrating, stay away from caffeine, or at least limit it, understanding the amount. Please don't drink energy drinks, people. What is wrong with you? I don't even care if you don't have anxiety. Do not drink that crap. It is not good for your body. Sorry, this is the Italian in me that comes up. <laughs> Stop drinking that crap. It is not, I, t- I have my kids and their friends with like drink those, whatever the five are. I mean, stop it. You don't, for God's sake, go to Starbucks and have a frappuccino or whatever you need. I don't care what it is, but please don't drink those. They are not helping your anxiety. And I say this in my book, I had to give up uh, caffeine for a little bit, just a little bit until I could get control of it. Now I know I can only have a little bit now, just maybe like maybe two cups in the morning and then I won't have it during the day. Get your butt moving. Get out there and start walking and start exercising. And, And God forbid, and I mean this sincerely, if you do have a disability that you can't do that, try to at least do things that are emotionally stimulating your body. You know, there are things just reading and poetry or, you know, drawing or some things that maybe you can use with your whatever physical components that aren't being um, held back in your body. Raise a hallelujah. Let's get into a grat- attitude of gratitude. Let's Amen. praise him in all that we do. And everything, even when it's bad, there's always something good. There's always something to be grateful about. I don't care what your circumstances are. There's always something that we can look up to the Lord and say, you know what? I know that was you through this heartbreak. I know that was you. And it's just, it's on and it's on and it's on. And I'm I'm getting all my messy pages here and I'm not getting one. <laughs> and, you know, just really and truly be careful about what you're bringing into your brain. Like I honestly... <laughs> Right now, I'm watching like only uplifting little movies that I watch at night. I'm going to admit I watch some of those queer little Hallmark movies. Don't tell anyone. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> Keep it quiet. I'm embarrassed just over you it. And I. <laughs> just between you and I. I just want something that's just hopeful. I'm a hopeful yes. romantic, but I just want something that's hopeful and just 
not so bringing in all the other stuff like violence and all right. the, you know, sex yeah. stuff. I just like, I don't need that in my brain right now. Right now I'm still healing and still needing to, you know, protect my mind. And it doesn't cause anxiety before you go to bed. I, I have a friend who's like, I can't watch scary movies before I go to bed. It causes anxiety. Yeah, you think? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, that's exactly, you know, the one thing that instigated my anxiety when I was really, really sick, when it first started to happen in my body was I was watching an ER episode and on, was it ER or Grey's Anatomy? One of those, I think it was ER. That's how long ago, but it, it, one of those and a 40 year old guy died of a heart attack and it started to get into my brain. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be turning 40. What happens if I die of a heart attack? See what I mean? That instigated a lot of my anxiety. So, you know, protect your brain and, you know, give glory to the Lord. I, I love the Lord God with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength, all my soul. I probably said it in a weird, I don't think that's the right like way, but I don't care because it's all good. Give him the glory in all you do. I think people forget that the eye is a gateway. The ear is a gateway. It connects immediately to the brain. That's the response. And then you harbor it or maybe turn it over and over. If I listen to something like that, I will be doing something else and think of that word I'm like, that's what you mean, Lord, when you say all the things that are worthy, put your mind on those, put your thoughts on those, your eyes on those things, because you do reprocess it. You do use it again. You do think of it again. And so even if you can tune it out at that moment, it comes back. And so when I keep my worship music on, when I'm watching wholesome shows and stuff like that, I do stay in a more positive attitude and a more uplifted heart condition, if you will. It makes, it makes a huge difference. I can tell you that, in, and I'm not perfect at this because I'm, I was talking to someone who I believe walks in the secular word, world very strong. I, I find myself sometimes saying things just to be appreciated in their world. And I'm like, yeah. and more and more I do that. I'm like, that's, that's just me conforming. What is wrong with me? I know better than that. I know saying that word is not, it, it does not please the Lord. I know thinking that way is not pleasing to him. What is wrong with me? I know. Cause even uh, comedy, I think true comedy is when you don't have to use all the crutch words, Amen. when you can actually, you know, deliver genuine humor yes. without a bunch of crutch words. So that's why yeah. we got to, we got to stick to the, the Christian comics and there's some amazing ones out there. They really are. They are. They are. Well, I have taken up all your time and I just want to oh, ask you two more questions. Honor. Oh, well, I've enjoyed it. Um, is there anything that I have not asked you about that you wanted to share? I'm just so grateful that we were able to have this dialogue. I think that there is a lot of relevance that my book can offer. So I just want to let everybody know it's coming out in a couple of weeks. I just pushed yeah. submit for publish and I think it's going to help people. That's all my prayer has been to the Lord. I prayed over this book. I can honestly say is your, you know, very devastating experience. My experiences as well. We as sisters can say, we will not do this life without God. And so we just, we say it, we preach it. We, we speak into it so deeply is because we want you to know there is a cure to hopelessness and it's Jesus Christ. Knowing that you're not alone is a lifesaver to some people. It's been known to keep people from taking their own life just to know they're not alone. Somebody cares. You're and that's never, Jesus. Ever, 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 ever alone. And I can tell you too, if it's not a clinical depression, which is very real, there are people that just generally don't feel like they're loved. And it is of mm. the enemy. The enemy is out there mm. and he is working hard, but he is a loser. And he is never, ever going to win over Jesus. Never. Mm. God has a plan for your life, but so does Satan. <laughs> That's right. 
So if our listeners only remember one thing about what we have talked about, what is the one thing you want them to walk away with? Thank you, Lord, for sticky statements. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. It's mm. good. That's it. I mean, problems are there. But when he is present, that's where the peace comes from. I have thoroughly enjoyed your insight, your input, your wisdom, and I cannot wait to get my hand on this book when it comes out, which will be on the 15th, November 15th. So audience. Perfect. Yep. Go to Amazon. It'll be there. Air That I Breathe. The Air That I Breathe by Jody Howe. Very easy. Jody is cover too. (laughs) J-O-D-I-H-O-W-E. You can go to my website, which is J-O-D-I-H-O-W-E.com. Okay. Miss Jody Howe. Thank you, sweet friend, and have an amazing day. You too. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, A Life of Thrive. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.